Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back. Get inside. We got another great special guest episode today. I'm Shopkeeper Dan, and with me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? Good, and you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yes. Well, those are for Joel. Those are Letterkenny references. <laughs> oh, good, good. You, you don't care. You don't give two shits about how I feel. You just got to give the no, shout out for all. Joel. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we have back with us in the shop once again, the wonderful, amazing Rich Friesen. How are you doing today, Rich? I'm just doing fine. It's a sunny, beautiful day in San Jose, and my wife has decided to move all the furniture around. So (laughs) it's a honeydew day, patching walls, screwing in uh, uh, shelving, and that sort of thing. So let's see how it works out. Is that normal for wives to do? Because I noticed that mine likes to paint uh, about once every three weeks. Oh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> we've been, well, we've been here five years, so it's it's about okay. time. All right, fair enough. We'll give her that one. Uh, how's the book tour going, Rich? Last time we talked to you, you are getting ready to do your launch for a private conversation with money. Yes, we uh, had the launch, and uh, I have a pretty big email list. So we, we started out the game, you know, out the launch, with a with a bang and now it's just grinding away doing Amazon ads I'm doing podcasts like this one and what's wonderful is I'm getting to meet a bunch of people with different viewpoints from different mm. parts of the world to discuss money but it almost always ends up you know what is driving that and it it turns out to be that the conversations get very deep about how we behave as human beings and eventually how do we make the world a better place so hmm. it's given me an opportunity like a, a powerful business card to talk to people that I normally don't get to. That's uh, one of the fun things about hosting your own podcast is you get to do a lot of that too. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to a creative conversation today. <laughs> well, I have some listener questions that I'll probably pepper in uh, as we chat, but uh, really just wanted to kind of dive in and learn a little bit more about the book. Okay. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with that? How, how long did it take you to write this? Let's start there. Like, how'd you get the idea? How long did it take to come up? Well, first, the idea, as you, I think I probably told my story, and I'll make a real short version of it here. I had left the large arbitrage firm, you know, that was had hundreds of millions of dollars in capital started on my own. Mm-hmm. And for, was it three years, I got stuck at making 200000 a year. And then there was a voice in the middle of the night that woke me up. It said, Rich, you're only worth $200,000. Long story short, I went to the exchange. I stood in the best spot in the pit. I fought for that spot for three months. Uh, the bell went off on the first morning. I went nuts. I bought and sold every series. And the 
the the pit thought Rich Friesen had gone nuts because I was the philosophy major <laughs> kind of standing at the back and very carefully buying this and selling that. And I went on to make many times that 200000 And as I used that money to build my trading firm and hire other traders to trade, some of them would just take off, but about half of them got stuck. Mm-hmm. Or the most typical thing is they would make X amount of money and then give about half of it back. Make mm-hmm. so much money and then give it back. And now as a coach and I've I've probably reviewed almost 2,000 assessments of traders. And the most typical equity curve is you very slowly disciplined, you work, you test, you back test, you implement, you execute, and you slowly start to make money. And then at some point, sometimes it's just one day, you blow the account or blow a big part of it. And what happens is you go, you know, (laughs) off the track. So my fascination is, what happens there? And what is the underlying drivers that keep traders from success? This is so painful because some of my clients come to me and they have a strategy that works in in Mm -hmm. certain types of markets. They have the ability, they have the capital, they have everything. And yet they lack something in their own brain dynamics to Mm -hmm. execute and make it work. Right. Uh Uh-huh. I know that feeling. Is there a, is there a common theme that you've found from all the different people that you've talked to, or is this uh, is everyone kind of unique? Well, in my book, A Private Conversation with Money, what I did was I took all of the different self-destructive behaviors and beliefs and identities and broke them down and created exercises for them. So the if we look at a hierarchy of issues, and we start in the basement floor at our core identity, and And there the issue sometimes is worthiness. And we could go into all the different aspects Mm. of worthiness. And then next is our beliefs about ourselves and the world. How does the world operate? For some people, the world operates as this big cheating machine that is like uh, monsters in the night who just are going to continually attack you. It's hard to be be creative in in that environment. I feel like you're reading my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely am a cynic. And then we look at the next level up is uh, behaviors. Our identity and our beliefs drive our behavior. So when I work with clients or in the book, what we do is we drive down to what is driving the behaviors. Because if we just try discipline, willpower, Mm -hmm. force, you know, New Year's resolutions, what happens is we repeat that behavior. We slap our forehead and I'm going to slap my forehead right now. Right. I said, why (laughs) did I do that again? I'm never going to do that again. And we wake up the next morning and go, oh, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Uh That's why you like to do the refrains then, huh? Yes. (laughs) Turn a positive spin onto it instead of of criticizing yourself. Well, I I think you're pointing in the exact right direction. Mm -hmm. We have what we call the golden keys. And the first is awareness. What is driving those behaviors is that something we believe about ourselves? Is it our beliefs about the world? Is it deserving? Is it some behaviors that we've just uh, created from childhood? So once we can do that, we improve our awareness. And then what you pointed to was acceptance. Mm -hmm. Can we look at those behaviors and say, oh, that is fascinating. Oh my God, I believe that I was not worthy. I wonder where I got that. Or I keep repeating this behavior, but huh, 
that's just a habit that no longer serves me. So if we can go through the awareness to find out what's going on, Mm -hmm. go through the acceptance, which allows us to really understand it. Because if we're beating ourselves up, you know, it's hard to to really gain that. And then what we can do is we can ask an important question with our agency, our ability to be aware from a higher self, to accept what we see from a higher self. That agency then can ask, what do I want now? Mm -hmm. And when we get to that place, it gets really rich and juicy because once we can start to define what we want now and visualize it, smell it, touch it, taste it, see if anybody objects, find out what it's like. We have a, a guided visualization called the Master Trader's Home. Mm -hmm. And it takes us through all of that so that we can incorporate what it's like to experience being a master trader. And once we're there without objection from all those other old parts, wow. If you ever considered just being a motivational speaker... Every time you come talk to me, like I just get so excited for the next day. Well, apparently I am right now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I've you know I've uh, had a lot of speaking engagements and I've done quite a bit of it, but uh, with the uh, virus that kind of ended, and I haven't cranked that back up. So the book also, it's not just a book. Like you said, it's interactive. You have exercises within the book, but I noticed Mm -hmm. that you also have a a workshop that you do with it too. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, let's first, let's back up to the first thing you said is the, if we look at most self-help books and I'll, I'm going to raise my hand here and say, I am critical of this. And they come to a point that where I am avoiding something, I'm not aware of something, something is painful for me to recognize in myself. And we come to that point in the self book, it's really easy just to read the words and say, oh yeah, and keep moving on. Mm -hmm. So in my book, what it does is it has a series of exercises uh, that gently bring us to increased awareness and acceptance of the different voices that we have. And we take the main character, Joe, through these exercises and everyone who gets the book. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a page for you guys. It's going to be conversations.money slash bull, B-U-L-L. And they can go there and they can get the free online course. And the online course will follow the book and allow you to not just skip over the words, but to actually experience it. That's so wonderful. That, what was the second part of it? What was that second part again? <laughs> the question was about the, the workshops. Like, Oh, yeah. It's not just the book. It looks like you've also created a community to try to, to, to build on that. Right. We have a community of traders and pe- entrepreneurs and people from a lot of different professions. And we meet, uh, we have two different sessions that can come to either. But uh, what we do is we go through the book, the exercises. We do what we call hot seat work. So one person will say, you know, I uh, revenge traded again. I lost three trades in a row and then I made 50 trades for the rest of the day and I (laughs) wiped out 40% of my account and I did it again. So then they will step up and then we will start to work as I would with a private client. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how powerful this is because you have these other people and they're cheering for you from the bottom of their heart. They love you. They want you to do well. And when you go through this, oftentimes, you will touch them and they will start to experience or open up new awarenesses. And it's just this wonderful group that uh, we just feed on the positivity of each other. And it and, and that reinforces what the exercises are and the uh, more intellectual parts of the book. I love that. Uh, I, we've gotten a taste of it uh, the last three times I think you've been been on the show with us. So I can, I can agree with that statement. Uh, listening to you talk to Dan was, was really, uh, it was motivating 
inspirational. It was exciting. It was, I was discovering things about myself, listening to Dan, try to figure out his mm-hmm. issues. And I'm sure Dan had kind of the similar experience when I did my turns. Oh yeah, for sure. I absolutely had a similar experience. Just listening to you and Kyle talk was very beneficial to me. Uh, and of, of course, talking directly to you was also the main event of uh, amazing. I was sad you didn't record the second one because I really wanted to <laughs> be oh, a fly the on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay. Where were we at? Where were we? What? So if we look at people listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and you were to just prioritize, what are the biggest pain points they experience? And is there anything we can address that can make a real difference for the people who you are supporting and taking care of? Well, would you like to, to go to some questions? Sure. That sounds like a perfect segue. Right. Paul D, uh, he asks, uh, what's the path to getting your mind to execute on what it already knows? Well, that's what we were talking about earlier. So let's, you know, I wish you were here so we can say, okay, let's go back and let let me just give a demonstration of this and I'll I'll kind of play both parts. Mm -hmm. And the name was Paul? Yeah. Okay. So Paul, let's go back to a time when you weren't executing what you know needs to be executed. When was that? And you'd say a week ago. Well, what happened? Well, I, uh, I saw a setup and I missed it. And I was afraid, and then it it went my way, and then I thought, oh, and I went and got in late, and then uh, my stop was really far away, and it started going against me, and I thought, well, it's coming back to my original point, so I doubled up, and then it went down, and I didn't have a stop in, and I, you know, on and on and on. Okay, I want you to go back and see the charts and feel what it's like as that's going against you. Mm -hmm. Okay, are you there? Yeah. What does it feel like? Physiologically, my chest is tight. My stomach hurts. My fists are clenched. My jaw is clenched. Great. So let's increase that attention. Increase the intention more on a scale of one to 10. Where are you? I'm at an eight. What thought would make it go to a 10? And Paul would pause and he would say, I'm a failure. Think I'm a failure and let's bring it up to 10. How is that for you? It's awful. I've worked so hard at this. I've done everything I can and I don't execute well. And then I make mistakes. Okay. How old do you feel right now, Paul? And there will be a pause. And it might be something like, I feel like I'm five years old. And what was going on with Paul when he was five? His father said he would never make it. Father was a kind of a mean son of a gun. And he criticized me all the time. And I have to prove that he's right. And when the market goes against me, or I miss it, or I screw up, then I feel my father's voice. So now what I've done here is I've taken maybe a couple of hours Mm -hmm. of time with client and compress them into about two minutes. Right. But what we see is what is a driver? And that is maybe Paul's worthiness. And this is not the Paul that asked the question, obviously. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, wanna, I don't want Paul to say, oh my God, everyone knows about my life. I hope Paul's dad's not listening to. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, Paul's dad, this isn't Paul. Yeah. Well, but this is a similar process that happens when we have those things where we say we can't execute. Usually there's something, a deep driver that comes down to either a, on the on the highest level, a, just a habitual repeated behavior that is just neurons connected that are just firing and we can, we can start to create new neural connections. It could be belief systems about the world or on the deepest level, which we just play acted. It could be our identity and that I'm a failure and I have to prove that 
I'm okay. In this situation, every tick against you is a referendum on your worth. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how many clients come to me and that they need the profitable trade to be okay. And how can we trade rationally from that position? It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. It feels like that sometimes too. It almost feels personal when the market's <laughs> oh yeah going against you and just taking your money away, just yeah. laughing in your face. Yeah. And the other side of it is, like, <laughs> okay, I'll tell a story on myself, is that about six months ago, I said, okay, inflation is here to stay. It's going to be big. It's going to be long. So, you know, I went into a bunch of stocks that I thought would do well in inflation. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at them this morning. I was going, oh, God, I'm good. I saw this coming. I saw it before the market hit. Rich Friesen, you're a, a you can't swear on this program, I assume. Yeah, you can. can. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're a fucking genius, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> and, I caught, and I caught myself. The other side is I'm not worthy, which is, which is really difficult. But the other flip side of that, and I caught myself, was when we get hubris, and that's a Greek mm-hmm. word for overconfidence. And that can be a killer too. You've made your system works. You've executed beautifully. You've got 10 winning trades in a row. You can do no wrong. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We actually just talked to uh, a fellow the other day. And one of his his tips that he likes to give new traders is if you have a great day, scale down the next day or sit out entirely. Don't don't let that uh, overconfidence get you overextended. And I actually had to do I had to do that today. Yeah. I had a good day yesterday, so I I think I just manage positions that I have open on swings. That's it. Well, that's a really good point. And part of my training with my clients is to do exactly that: is to create uh, what a start over to bring us back to neutral. Mm-hmm. And what we do is, and I think we've talked about this: our set scores, sensations, emotions, thoughts. Yep. And we scale the minus five to plus five. Minus five is depressed. I'll never do anything. I'm worthless. Plus five is I'm a God and I can't do anything wrong. So if we are aware of that, in fact, I have an exercise called the cocky clanger. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I love it. This clanger, bong, 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 goes off in our head and we practice it. I give them a guided visualization where they just conquer everything and they're in top of the mountain. People are bowing down and worshiping them. And then we have this clanger going on in their head so that they they can hear the clanger when they get conky. It's just a neurological training, neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we can uh, create the clanger when we get cocky, that is awareness. But that's really hard to do because when we're cocky, we don't think we're cocky. We just think we're really good. (laughs) Well, okay. So let's say that I wanted to try to train myself to recognize that. I put a little bell on my desk and anytime I feel too high or too low, I ring Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. That'll bring me awareness of being at that state, but will that actually bring me to a more neutral state, just being aware of that, or is there more that you have to do? Yeah. Well, what you're bringing up is is really important because it's the core of what I think the process is to move to uh, trading mastery or the master trader's mindset. Mm-hmm. And that is a full awareness of where we are 
in any given moment. So what we do is we start with our set scores by setting an alarm every 5, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, a couple of hours. And then we just sit back and say, what is my physical sensations? I notice I'm tight. I notice my voice is kind of tight. My jaws clenched. Okay. Emotionally, I'm feeling defensive. My wife accused me of something. I'm, I have stories in my mind, all the arguments where she's wrong and I'm right. Or how do you, what are the quality of your thoughts? They're judgmental and whatever. So what we can do is if we can measure it, then this process of our awareness and our set scores, it can go from anywhere. It takes two or three minutes to do when we start. But with repetition, my traders can now do it in about three seconds. One, hmm. two, three. How am I? And the willingness to step back from trading if they're not in a certain range. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So like a muscle, you're saying, <laughs> the brain builds. Yes. And, you know, and with, now that we understand neuroplasticity and that neurons that fire together wire together, so there's all sorts of examples of people who have traumas when X happened and they're fearful of X, which has nothing to do with, you know, whatever the trauma was or rats or, you know, or dogs salivating with bells. There's just lots of examples of how when things get wired together mm -hmm. uh, or when things fire together, they get wired together. So that is both a negative, but if we can use that positively and automate a lot of really healthy trading behaviors, then what we can do is we can take another step with that automation to solving more difficult problems and focusing on things that uh, like pattern recognition and so forth. I feel like I, I need to add that breathing exercise to my normal day. I don't know why it is when I talk to you, but I always just feel so much calmer. Excellent. Maybe it's just, is it your voice? <laughs> I'm inviting you right now and everybody who's listening to take a breath and to just notice their physical sensations, their emotions, what are they angry, happy, sad, and the quality of the thoughts. Are they judgmental? Are they open? Are they creative? And that's my invitation to almost everybody all the time, even in personal relationships. I was at a party mm -hmm. the other day and uh, I was sat next to this woman and I uh, just started slowly breathing, breathing with her. Uh, matching her breathing, and then inviting her slowly to just notice what was going on. And by the end of it, uh, her attention was gone. So we can, and the marvelous thing is, we can huh. spread this. Everyone who's listening can give a gift to others of bringing them to their highest self, to a calm, and to a very productive mindset. Oh, man. Mm. <laughs> Not sure how to top that, but uh, I do have some more questions if you want to try to tackle some other ones. Sure, let's go. All right, Joel. Joel is always good for a good five or six of them, so I'll try to pick some of the best ones here. Um, he wants to know if it's more important to have confidence in himself to execute or confidence in his edge to perform. Okay. First of all, your edge will come and go. Uh, all strategies can be, even crazy strategies about the sunspots or moon cycles will work in some markets. Mm -hmm. But all even good strategies will eventually fail. So, mm -hmm. what we have, I something called the confidence cycle. And typically it starts out 
very naive cockiness. Oh, I can do this. I'm a computer engineer, uh, or I see patterns in the market. I've been able to Uh, I'm a millionaire from building businesses, or the worst is the doctors and lawyers who feel that they can just step into the market. And then the next (laughs) step is, uh, oops, oh, that didn't work. So I need to be have a successful trade to be confident. So then they have successful trades and unsuccessful trades. And next they say, I need confidence in my strategy. Well, they have a strategy that matches a, a particular market mood. And they say, yes, I've now found it. I got confidence in my strategy. But then they realize that at some point, strategies fail. Most of them do, unless they're so broad that the uh, margins are really thin. So the the more a strategy encompasses more types of markets, the thinner the margins. And (laughs) psychologically, that becomes very difficult. The next level of confidence is, well, I really have confidence in myself to view the market as it is. To not bring my biases, my hopes, my dreams, my need for my dad to approve of me, whatever it is, I can just see it as it is, almost as a baby, as a naive person. And then knowing that, I can apply a strategy that will work in that market. And then the final stage, the highest level is, I am just confident in myself to meet chaos in the world and in the markets and be able to handle it well. So that is what I call the circle of of confidence. So confidence is built on performance and history and working through the issues. You get to the point where it's uh, not confidence in yourself in a uh, kind of a cocky sense, Mm -hmm. but confidence that the world is changing and I will meet the world, and I will learn from it, and I will make mistakes. And that's just fascinating because my processes are continually to learn, improve, and make my world a better place. Well said. Yeah. Um, He's got another really good one on here about hesitation and confirmation. I had to get some clarification on this, but it comes to the difference between waiting for confirmation to enter a trade Mm-hmm. versus hesitating to subconsciously miss the trade? Mm-hmm. And how can he tell the difference and how can he manage the, the hesitation versus the confirmation? Okay. So if it were a private client, we'd say, okay, let's, if we're, sometimes I trade live with my clients mm-hmm. and the client will say something, oh, it's, it looks like the setup's here. Oh, oh my gosh, let me check. Uh, let me check this over screen over here, or let me check the the two hour bars, or uh, let me. Uh, uh, mm, ah, I can hear it in their voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. So then I say, uh, you know, let's do a physical sensations or emotions and thoughts, and it'll come down to let's say in this example, a fear of making a mistake or a fear of loss. Mm-hmm. And then we'll look at that fear. Where did that fear come from? So the problem is, uh, is always there, you know, is the setup here? But if I look at the traders who've gone through our system or who've really mastered it, when the setup's there, there's no, the, the, the execution and the mouse click, there's just no difference. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And so one of the other things I do is have my clients have three hats or three jackets or shirts. Mm -hmm. And one jacket or hat or shirt is our research. That is building our strategy, testing our strategy, uh, looking at 
how it works and understanding the markets. The second hat is our risk parameters. How much do we risk on a trade? Where do we put our stops? Uh, do we uh, follow on on a profitable trade and add to it? And so the risk manager has, has that role in a different hat. And then we have the person that's executing. So um, I don't know if I told you the story about the time that I, when I first started trading that I failed to execute. Um, <laughs> you have, you've told it, it's kind of become a thing now though. You've told it, I think each time you've been on and I love it because every time there's a different lesson. And probably every time my memory is different, it's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> I had so, on my cowboy hat and spurs that day. <laughs> you know, I was told I worked for a large arbitrage firm and Comdisco, the stock had some uh, accounting uh, false stuff and the stock dropped 30% or something. Implied volatility in the options was running 80. So, and I was told to go in and sell some premium. So I sold 20 lots, came back and they said, no, we want to sell some premium. Sold 100 lots, came back. And Joe, the founder of the firm, the big guy came on the phone and said, Rich, do you want us to give us this order to a broker? <laughs> I went back into the pit, sold, 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 sold. So the point here is when we hesitate to execute, that means we've got, we have a mix of our strategists come in and say, well, wait a minute, is this really the strategy? We have the risk manager who said, but what if you lose money? And we have then the executor who's going, Oh, oh my gosh, what should I do? So mm -hmm. keeping clarity. And if you're part of a trading firm, the beauty of that is there's a risk manager and you'll say, put on a thousand lots. Mm -hmm. And the uh, strategist will say, uh, we want to put them on at this price and we want, this is our risk and this is our, you know, our stop and this is our goal. And your job is just to execute. Well, that is really a relief. So if you, uh, and independent traders, the challenge there is you have to do all three jobs. So the best yeah. we can do is really separate the functions. I like that. Uh, putting separate hats, put your hat on when you're doing your research, take it off, put your risk management hat on. And then when you put your execution hat on, you're not, there's no more questioning anymore. When it hits your price, you execute. Right. And what we have is we have lousy trades and lucrative trades. So we journal them. Mm -hmm. A lousy trade is a trade that you weren't in the right mindset. You didn't enter it according to your strategy. You got out too soon because you didn't want to take a loss. You, uh, you know, canceled your stop or whatever it was. And if it's profitable or not profitable, doesn't matter. It's lousy. Mm -hmm. Then we look at lucrative trades where all those were in a line. And sometimes the trader will, will look at, we have an application called Mind Metrics that measures this really easily. We'll look at it and they realize that if they just executed their strategy, they'd be profitable <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Right. And the red the red trades were the ones that were off strategy, the one the emotional mm -hmm. ones, the impulsive ones, the fearful ones. So uh again, if we look at execution and we have get a history of what happens to those well executed lucrative trades, what a confidence builder that history is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of traders, they don't, they don't keep the distinction between uh, the different types of trades they do. And as a result, they don't know what to adjust or what to change. It's also the, the fallacy of just looking at the P&L of a trade too, right? Oh, boy. Oh, yes. In fact, I saw a cartoon I just loved the other day. Some business people were looking at a chart and one of them says, boy, did we make a bad decision? And the other guy said, no. At that time, we looked at everything. 
we made a really good decision, but it just didn't work out. But we'll continue to make good decisions. So, you know, we judge a trade on whether it was profitable or not. And as you well know, in fact, what would be your guess is the percent of profitable trades for my most successful traders are? Your most successful? Traders, yeah. What percentage of trades are profitable for them? I would guess between 30 and 60%. That's a good guess. It's around 40 to 45, 50, under 50%. When they get over 50%, their profitability tends to go down. So if we are looking at the P&L of a trade to determine our decision process, my gosh, I mean, we're going to be beating ourselves up every other trade. Right. Uh, it helps to remember that sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think last time we were on, we played a game of the, the quarter flip. Oh, yeah, right. And every flip of the quarter, every trade, what's every trade worth to you? Yeah. And then trying to come up with that number. I think I could probably answer that now. Right. You know what's amazing? <laughs> I do the coin flip for myself, <laughs> and I still get a thrill when I call it right. And of course. I still <laughs> have this little bad feeling when I call it wrong. That is built into our friggin' human brains. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It was me, not probability. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I have, uh, let's see, what? Uh, maybe two more questions. Okay. I got one that, that Joel and I both share. It's a question about SIM and why is it on SIM? Oh, wait, he's got it backwards. Okay. He wants to know why when he gets on SIM, he goes rogue, but with real money, he follows his plan. Is there a way to try to trade SIM like it's real? Uh, <laughs> well, that is like the, opposite the opposite of almost everything I've heard. So, yeah, that's, that's so one of the opposite for me. Too. <laughs> if between the two scenarios, that's the better scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I must, must have misread that when I first looked at it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'd much rather have Sim be my rogue playground. You know, quick story. Client was in the Bay Area, which is unusual because my clients are all over the world. Went and saw him trade on Sim, and he was leaning back and saying, okay, here's a setup, but it's not quite right. It, has, it doesn't have this, and I need this for the setup. And then there's this one. Well, look at the type of market it is today. We should see several setups. Okay, here it comes. Right here, bang, executed, um, stopped out. Okay, so about 40% of my trades are stopped out right now in this market pattern. So let's look. Oh, here's another one. Bang, execute. Okay, this one went to uh, the target. Let's do it again. Another one went to the target. I said, okay, let's go to real. And so all of a sudden, his voice went up a little bit. He leaned forward. His jaw clenched. And I could tell his breathing was shallower. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, damn it. You know, we were in this pattern, but I'll bet you they're going to going to fuck me over on this. They're going to, they're going to get me. God damn this. Look, look what they're doing here. Those son of a bitches. Look what they're doing. Look at they're taking this. They're just running this friggin' market up. Okay. Here comes a setup. I hope they don't get me. So that's an exaggeration a little bit. Yeah. I bet it's not that much though. <laughs> <laughs> the difference between sim and real is measured in between our ears. Mm -hmm. So what, this is really interesting. So if, if traders have a difference between sim and real, for example, Sim, they don't take it seriously, but trading trade, they do much better to have it that way. But yeah. but if, for example, they make money on Sim and then don't, is first you measure in Sim, you measure your set scores. What are my physical sensations? What is my voice like? What is my breathing like? What's my heart rate? What are my emotions? What are the quality of my thoughts? Okay, now I'm going to turn on real. Now I'm going to do the same thing. What, is anything shifted? Go back to Sim, establish your base, come back to real. Whoops, my breathing shallow. Go back to Sim. So you keep, you do not let yourself trade in a real 
account without mm-hmm. having all the sensations, emotions, and thoughts from the sim that transfer easily. Now, that is not trivial. No. I mean, it's not like, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. But that's the exercise. That's hard, but it's the right hard thing to do. Uh-huh. Right. It's worth the effort. Has anyone ever recorded themselves uh, just to see the difference on themselves doing live versus sim? That's a great idea. Because I wonder if it would be that much clearer to yourself. You just turn on your webcam and just record a couple 20-minute sessions and see if you can see the difference in yourself. Yeah, in your own behavior. That is a wonderful idea. I can tell you right now, the difference to me, I think, is just the fear of, there's no fear. There's no, you don't have to worry about losing if you are wrong. Yeah. And that takes a lot of the hesitation away. Mm -hmm. And trading a real account, you don't have to worry about losing either. You're just executing. Mm -hmm. The guys that worry about losing were the strategy, a developer, and the researcher, and the risk manager. But when you are the executor, that's their problem. You just Mm -hmm. execute, and the end of the week, you say, I executed this strategy faithfully. Now, it's time for you to do your jobs. And the strategy developers say, well, we we traded 40% of our trades were profitable. We uh, are... Uh, win-to-loss ratio was four to one, and we made a lot of money. I think that we need to keep track of the type of market it is to make sure our strategy applies to that type of market, but I'm happy. The risk manager will say, okay, you stayed within the risk parameters. You set your stops. You got out. You went to target. I'm happy too. So if we are executing our strategy, and let's say we're not making any money, then we can go back to the the risk manager will say, oh, look, you canceled your stop. What the fuck did you expect? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so if we divide the roles up, then we can know where we need to develop and apply our intelligence and our ability and our experience. But if they're all messed up in this big cauldron of soup and we can't tell the difference, how the hell are we supposed to get better? Right. Can't. I got to admit, from as far as futures are concerned, I, uh, uh, I, got, I got fired as an executor by my risk manager and my strategist when it comes to trading futures. Okay. I need to get more. They said you need more experience. Come back when you're ready to be serious. So I'm, I'm taking, taking a, a, a prolonged break. Oh, I really respect that. You had the roles. You saw where the issue was, and then you are working on correcting it. Well done. Well, the best part about that, too, is he has something that's successful that he's going back to to build that experience. Mm-hmm. And when Dan and I were talking, he was telling me about how he's funding his futures account through his options trading. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, yeah, okay, if you're making the money doing options, let's just focus on that for a while. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I'd like to talk about something that we alluded to earlier and that surprised me was that yeah. no trader has ever come to me and said, Rich, I'm not prepared for wealth. Not one. Right. So my problem is I'm not prepared for wealth. But we know that most lottery winners return to their original net worth in five years or something. Uh, NFL football players who've made millions, uh, 60 or 70% of them don't have enough money to retire. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, as a trader, we have the ability, once we have a process, I mean, very few of us are going to have so much capital that we're moving the market and we have to worry about that. We can expand, we can leverage what we do to tremendous wealth. But most people are not prepared 
to step into that. We have survival mechanisms that have survived struggle. Some of us have survived uh, poverty or other traumas. And to step into a successful world are some of us like my identity in the original story. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't prepared for it. And so what I would caution everybody is that if you do all this work and it takes three or four years and you're successful is to look out for a limit. In other words, when you start to trade, you're making a lot of risk to learn a whole new thing, a difficult, complex, adaptive systems, your brain, your attitude, your mindset, the complexity of markets and strategies. And you get to and you take the time and the risk to, to manage all that. And then if you don't have the internal ability to step into wealth, what you've done is you've capped the upside and you and you allow the downside to run. So it's like putting on a trade where you put the target very small, but you put the stop way far away. So, I, hmm. and I know nobody believes this until we get to the point where we are successful and then something happens. And so I would just caution everybody to allow, to make sure you are capable of allowing the upside to run. Huh. Is that why I have trouble uh, with cutting uh, winners too soon? Oh, well, we could go into that. Uh, and, <laughs> and and make a discovery. Uh, generally, that is the fear of loss. I don't want to give it back. Yep. But, you know, that also applies to the larger long-term picture and uh, whether we are even worthy of that. Or I've had a trader who just struggled and struggled. And, and every time he'd start to make money, he would just give it back and struggle. And it came to the point where, you know, if I were to stop struggling, and step into my dream, my world would change so much. And I realize I don't want my world to change. So I am going to continue in this struggle and trying different things and developing strategies and doing this because that's what I love to do. And if I started to hmm. make money, that would take me away from my love. So he said, thank you for the awareness and go away. <laughs> wow. the, the story is powerful because some of us have that subconscious voice and don't recognize it i really respected him well, he, because he recognized it and accepted it i was going to say that's acceptance at the highest level that is yeah <laughs> i'm kind of happy with the fact that i've gotten to the point now where i have trouble letting runners run too much because for the longest time i'd never take profit mm-hmm so now when I see 25% on a trade or 50%, like, no, I'm taking half off right now and getting paid and moving my stops to break even and okay. seeing what else I can do. But then I usually end up just scaling out too quick with the rest of it. I think I've already mentally realized the 50% win and that's good enough. Right. So let's make a shift here, a powerful shift mm -hmm. from the outcome, scaling out or where you put your stops to a process. If I execute my process, wow, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So once you have a process, you can have tremendous pride in executing it. And now you can do some research, of course, and go back to your strategy hat and say, okay, over the large sample size, what process produces the most profits? Now, there's one caution here in that statistically, 
the trading a strategy that produces the most profits might also be, and this tends to be the case, be the most psychologically difficult to execute. In other words, you might have to deal with more losing trades in a row. So you need to take that into account. But if you are able to move from the outcome and the fear of loss to the joy of just executing the process and seeing what the outcome is, oh my gosh, that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to make that shift lately too. Um, I had a, a a couple put positions on a, a stock that uh, hit my my target. I think I was already out on half, and I had one runner left. That was I was targeting. I think one hundred seven on the stock price, and it was making its way towards that. I already had an open order. I went to go try to cancel it to try to get a little bit more out of it, and then it already executed by the time I did my research and got back to it. But it's it's tough because you know you go back and you look, and then now I see that stock trading at a hundred dollars. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I don't see a winner, you know, of I think the trade ended up being all told uh 49%. Mm-hmm. A 49% win. Now I'm seeing a, a big red number because I missed out and I, and that's the hard part. You know, now that now that we know where that trade would have gone. Exactly. Why the hell didn't you execute it correctly? Huh? I know. <laughs> I know. This is exactly. You're an awful trader. Look where it went. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually end up turning the stock chart off. I'm like, okay, I'll delete this one from the watch list. I'm not going to look at it for a couple of days. We'll come back to it later. Yeah. So what, you know, it's, it's a messy market. Our psychology mm-hmm. as humans is messy. We're never going to get it right. Uh, okay. I uh, noticed my, I was beating myself up the other day. I, there was this really sweet trade in a, a mining stock, and I well, just put a small position on, and it's uh, gone up fifty percent in two days. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh geez, oh, no, 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 no. And I caught myself thinking, Rich, you're doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't do it all. You can't get it out all. And if we judge ourselves with hindsight, then that means we are. And here's the horrible part of that: is we reduce our creativity. Mm-hmm. our freshness to the market because all of a sudden that voice comes back and say, what if you screw this up? Well, so what if you screw it up? You're going to screw it up. I guarantee you're going to screw it up. 60% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that comes back to process. We can control mm-hmm. the process 100% of the time. I think Rich is making a great point about focusing on the process. And I think that's my next step in my development. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on for the next month. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Likewise. Taking joy in the process. I really like that idea. I tell you, it, it feels so powerful mm-hmm. to stay with a process and look at the outcomes. You, you know, outcomes are important. You can step into the outcomes, but know you're stepping into them and then step out of them and go back to process and then look at the outcomes go back to process. But the feeling of competence that and confidence, the, those words that came up earlier, mm-hmm. my gosh, I am capable of creating a process and following it. That in and of itself is life-changing. Uh, just the idea of taking pride in it. like We don't do that enough. We should be proud of what we're doing, yeah. especially when we're doing it right. That's true. Taking that moment and feeling that pride in yourself and what you're doing, I think, is just as powerful as anything else I've ever heard anybody say. Right. And with my wealth workshop groups, what we do is we celebrate victories. Mm-hmm. Not victories like somebody made a trade and they made money, but like I had this X process and in the real time, I was able to realize that 
that no longer serves me. And I stepped into a process now that feels so much better. Oh my gosh, we are going to cheer that guy for minutes Mm -hmm. or or woman in the wealth workshops where we have women and non-traders also, but being able to celebrate that process. And I think that in our culture, we, I got to be really careful here. I don't get you guys canceled. (laughs) We'd welcome the publicity. (laughs) In our culture, and I'm not talking about men or women, but the masculine energy of conquering and proud of our abilities and our strength and our ability to look at the world and be powerful in the world, that our culture is no longer supporting that. And if we can support that Mm -mm. in our groups, in our trading, in as entrepreneurs, in our careers, and we have people that support that positive energy, wow. Yeah, when did did the second part of of the the struggle become obsolete. Like we used to listen to people tell their stories about like how they've been, you know, the, the obstacles they overcame mm-hmm. and we, we cheer the overcoming the obstacles. And now it's, we cheer the person who has struggles, but we were skipping the overcoming part. Yeah. In fact, you know, in our culture, you know, I'll listen to some unnamed public radio stations. <laughs> you listen to it, it's about half of it or even more is about victims. Mm -hmm. And we are getting to the place where the more victimized we were, we are, uh, the more powerful we are. (laughs) (laughs) And that does not make for a very uh, supportive world where we can all appreciate each other, support each other, and cheer our successes. Well, before we dive too deep into this rabbit hole... Uh, Dan, do you have anything else that you wanted to dive into before uh, Rich tells us where people can find the book and the workshop? No, uh, just a increased increased gratitude for stopping by, Rich. Uh, thank you so much. It's it's always great talking to you. Every You're always time. opening doors inside me and my brain, and I love it. Mm, me too. Not like that other guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah, if people want to learn more, uh, conversations.money.com. Our conversations.money is for the site we're working on in celebrating money positive beliefs. And for traders, the converse, uh, we have mindmusclesfortraders.com and you can go there. And uh, if you want to, you can email me rich at mindmuscles.com. Uh, my Skype uh, handle is just Mind Muscles. So I'm really open. I'm happy to talk to anybody to see how we can support you. My mission in the world is to invite everybody into their highest power where they can serve themselves and serve the world and make um, a better place for everyone. Oh, I love that mission. All right, everyone. Private conversations with money. You can find that on Amazon. We'll have links, uh, the links that that Richard mentioned in the episode description. That's right. Uh, you also mentioned, uh, I suppose, at conversations.money slash bulls. Yes, conversations.money slash bull, B-U-L-L singular. And I'll put up a site and there you'll get a free access to the course. And if you read the book, uh, Amazon reviews are appreciated. Yes, please S- send those reviews to Rich. Let's get this book to be a bestseller. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Dan, you want to wrap us up? Absolutely. Folks, thanks for joining us once again here in the shop. I'm having Rich Friesen by. I uh, hope, hope you got your questions answered. Uh, we'll be sure to have him back on again in the future. And in the meantime, check out that book. It is amazing. And until we're back at you, what, in a few days, happy trade. Bye, folks. 
Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.